The thing about losing a loved one is that the minute the news of the loss gets out, people flock to your home in their numbers. And in an instant, before you've even processed the grief, the loss, you met with the expectations of the multitude that's coming in and out. I don't know if the expectation is from the multitude per se, or us the grieved feel the multitude comes with the expectation. Or it could be that there are no expectations at all, except the expectation of grief. I don't know. Either way, there's something about loss within the African black community that can make you pause your grief and focus on the multitude. Have they eaten? Do they have enough blankets? Are there enough beds? Is there enough milk, coffee, juice, and scones to make sure the people bringing in prayer live fed? One day, preparing for my brother's funeral, I collapsed into my grief. I had just seen him, or rather, his lifeless body. That was the last time I would see my little brother. And I saw him in that state just a few days before the funeral. And I just could not, for the life of me, hold back the breaking of my heart. I couldn't press pause anymore. The intense grief wouldn't allow me to. But there's no time to grieve. So pack it up. Pack up your grief and bring those drinks from the car. Because we don't stop working. But grieving? Grieving can wait. Why? Because apparently, in all the weight of grief, be able to put a pause and work till your feet hurt. I couldn't that day. I couldn't. I couldn't. I had tried my absolute best. I just wept the whole day, literally. The pause button automatically set itself off in grief. Grief demanded to be felt. It was real and it demanded that I pay attention to it. And so I did, I did. And that was what the people around me probably called an act of disobedience or resistance to what was known and what is known. That you can pack up your grief, that you can put a pause to it and make sure that we're okay. But I just surrendered to it. The thing is, grief allowed already comes in waves but a grief paused could be paused for far too long and the wave when it comes it can come like a tsunami and with my grandmother i had put a pause and when it came like 10 years later i could hardly breathe from the unclogged grief i just don't want to go through that again not with my brother a lot bruised me with my brother's passing, besides just losing him. I couldn't be a host. Many times my knees just wanted to collapse. I was in a corner, scared to be left alone as we prepared to bury him. A feeling I often describe as dread. I always had a friend beside me as we prepared for the funeral. But this one day they had all left to run an errand. The dread I felt could never be matched with anything. Besides that feeling, my feet were hurting real bad because of the workload. 
trying to cook supper one time, I literally burnt meat to ash because I was just grieving and exhausted to the bone. Amongst many things, I was also hurting for my grieving mother who had to sleep in her car because there was no there was no place to sleep just the day before her son's burial the expectant supporters they were sleeping comfortably i struggled to get past these some days i find myself thinking about them and tears just fill my eyes am i misunderstanding something is grief supposed to be accompanied by so much self-sacrifice of the grieved am i ever part of the multitude the expected multitude is also sometimes family. The expected multitude is, is also here to say, you are grieving, we're doing you a favor by being here. So feed us, take care of us. And you do, because that is what is expected. Now the funeral is over. We are all just lying down, dog tired from a physically and emotionally strenuous week. The expectant multitude, as expected, comes through the door and asks, aren't you gonna cook supper? I had just left my brother at the cemetery. I was far from even processing the reality that I'll never see him again, let alone thinking about feeding a multitude again. But apparently, I was supposed to be thinking about the multitude and not my grief. And because I wasn't thinking about feeding the multitude, I am a failed Kosa woman and a failed potential wife to someone because I allowed myself to be consumed with grief and not the hunger of the expectant multitude coming to support my grief-stricken family. And then, the multitude leave. Your reality kicks in. I washed pots like a mad woman the first day after the funeral. Most of the multitude had gone home. The pots and plates had to go back to where they had been borrowed. Second day, I don't quite remember. But the third day, I couldn't. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't move from my bed. I collapsed into my grief once more. I couldn't even take a bath. I just wanted to cry and yearn for my little brother the entire day. Then came the awkwardness of casual questions. How was the funeral? Which I never knew how to answer. And the very stabbing question from a well-meaning friend. Are things back to normal now? <laughs> I buried my little brother three days ago. I am left with the assignment to literally recreate a new normal. Things are normal. They'll never be normal. Why? Because my normal is us being three siblings. Just the two of us as siblings? Now that is what will never be normal. Grief? Grief is demanding. Grief is scary. Grief is unexpected. Grief is cruel. Grief is awkward. I don't have wise words to leave or close this podcast off with but i want us to talk about it how do we process grief in our black communities with all the work and responsibility that comes with losing a loved one the many people who come to your house to sleep over whilst doing funeral preps 
whom you have to have a three-time meal plan for, for about five days. Maybe this is not a culture that one can change. Maybe it's embedded within us. But you, the grieving, how do you make sure you still make time for the legal right that you have to just grieve the loss of your loved one? Let's have a conversation about it.